0: We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stauffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America-wide?
1: Yeah, Digitex does that.
0: D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. This text comes in on our Ashley Finefler's text line at 1234. Bob, I don't care about Oilers trivia on Oilers Now. I want to know whether or not Alabama is going to cover against Mercer this weekend. Bama are 53-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, I don't think they'll cover in that game. Uh, they'll, that's not a game that they're going to get jacked up for. To, they'll win. They'll win by four touchdowns, but they're not going to win by 53 points. NFL started last night. It, did you watch any of the tennis last night, Brendan? It's been a pretty significant moment there as well. I'm guilty of gluing myself to the football game, but I was absolutely floored to see that she got past the number two seed. So that meant that Stu Ballantyne, who said that Fernandez had advanced to the final yesterday at 2 o'clock because he was watching a replay of the quarterfinal uh, from the day before, (laughs) that meant that Stu Ballantyne was, uh, you know, eight hours ahead of everybody else. Got to give him credit for that. That's pretty impressive. He uh, spoke it into existence. There you go. There you have it. All right. Uh, without further ado... Oh, wait. We got to do our trivia uh, for ProAmSports.ca. And the hints again, uh, a former Edmonton Oilers player that was not drafted by Edmonton. He attended Colorado College. He played almost 400 games in the NHL. He scored his only playoff goal in the Oiler's 5 playoff run. Uh, Support player on the team that year, and he played uh, in the NHL close to 400 games as a type 1 diabetic, and the correct answer was who, Brendan? Toby Peterson. The legendary Toby Peterson. The uh, person that knew that first was Aaron R. on the text line. Well, that was one of Craig McTavish's favorite players. A guy I know, Robin Brownlee, wrote a real good piece on him uh, with the Edmonton Sun at that time about what a great story he was. And uh, speaking of former Oiler coaches, we are going to head off to the River Creek Resort and Casino Hotline. I had the privilege of bumping into uh, Ron a couple times over the summer in the first week of August at a couple of different events. We welcome back to the show former Edmonton Oilers uh, Goaltender and coach Ron Low. Ron, it's Bob. How are you doing?
1: Good, Bob. How's things going there
0: today? Uh, oh, it's all, all right. right. You know, yeah, I, I I got, got a get-to-job. Get get to I I get, I get to work, work in sports, work Ron. God. So I'm always I'm a happy, happy guy. guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like it. All right, I, look, look, I think we I think we can a hear a little, little bit of reverb. reverb. Do you have you us on a speakerphone right now? No. Okay, that's just a... okay. I'll say less and we'll get to you right away. Here, you know what tomorrow is? It's the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and we had you on uh, after the 10th anniversary uh, because you had just gone in New York to be the head coach 20, and we're now at the 20 year mark I'm sure you've watched several documentaries on it does it still to this day just kind of floor you what happened
1: yeah it's uh, I mean being there was surreal and thinking about it afterwards and like you said watching some of the documentaries on it uh, it was an absolutely tragic day, but um, the, like it, where we lived in Rye, New York, probably three-quarters of my kids' um, school worked in Wall Street, and I can remember... I think AJ told me there were 42 funerals from her school. Oh, man. And, like, that, that, that's when it really kind of hits home and you think about... All those people, and yeah, very sad. Really, really sad. If I'm not, if I'm not
0: mistaken, had you guys just arrived into New York? Because you'd just become the head coach of the Rangers. You were in Houston. The year in between, you were in Edmonton, and when you went to New York as head coach. You just got into New York City, hadn't you, or into Rye?
1: Yeah. What we, were, we were supposed to actually... Uh, Slats had booked us into that Marriott Hotel for training camp, Yep, and training camp started that day. And for some reason, I have no idea, and he doesn't even, he moved us to the hotel closer to the garden, one actually right across the street, uh, for some reason. Um, Like I said, it's really eerie, but like that Marriott went down, and yeah, we were pretty fortunate. I was in uh, Rye. Um, I was actually sitting out on the deck having a coffee with Linda. And I got a phone call from my brother in uh Foxhorn, Manitoba. And he goes, what's going on there anyway? And he just all sounded concerned. I said, nothing. I'm just waiting for my car to pick me up, and we're headed to practice. He goes, don't think there'll be any practice here today. You better get your TV on. And we fired it on in the second plane where jet was hitting the building we didn't even know the first one had hit yet and basically we were locked down in rye for the next 11 days you couldn't go across a bridge and of course you know new york right right? there's bridges everywhere you could not go across a bridge into new york or out of new york for the next 11 days it was crazy how Like, uh, were you
0: concerned at that point, Ron, I mean, obviously family comes first, but your team's your extended family. Were you concerned about the whereabouts of any of your players and, and their families and that sort of thing?
1: A hundred percent. There was, uh, like we were, like I said, we were supposed to have people in that Marriott, which is at the bottom of the Trade Center. And, yeah, we, none of us were there, and that was a savior. And uh, the people that were in the hotel got out uh, and, and actually left Manhattan before the bridges were closed. So we had all of our people basically in their houses, most of them lived out towards Rye, and we couldn't, we couldn't go into New York to get our equipment out of the arena we had to get all of our equipment sent, brand new stuff from Toronto and we could bring it in because we weren't crossing a bridge into Manhattan itself and so we had training camp out in Rye and with no access to anything but brand new stuff coming out of Toronto and Montreal and uh, it, was, it was absolutely crazy, we started training camp I think if I'm not mistaken, I think eight days late And did you
0: guys just sit there and think, you know, how lucky you were that you had the group collectively together? Was it a a reprieve for the players given, you know, sort of the shock of what had occurred with everybody? You know, like a guy, Mark Messier was on the team. He loved New York City. That's his city. He promised them a Stanley Cup back in nineteen eighty, uh, back in nineteen ninety-four. I mean, did it give the players not a sense of purpose, but maybe an outlet to do, you know, something different, given the context and of uh, of the tragedy that occurred uh, in New York City at that time?
1: Well, even even in the end, that we could we finally did start training camp and. Like, Mark was amazing when we did our first uh, road trip. And, like, you know what it's like going on the road with the Oilers. You drive into the airport, you get on your charter flight, and away you go to wherever you're going. Well, I'm telling you right now, We were flying into, I think it was either Toronto or Montreal was our exhibition game, and we were under so much security and scrutiny. Every bag was taken, opened up, looked at. Every hockey bag was. Your personal bags going on the plane were. It was just like a new world. Oh, that's on a, and that's on a team I, charter, they, too.
0: That's on a team oh, charter. Like, yeah. it's not
1: like it's on a regular commercial flight. No, I flew. no. This is a charter. Right. Yeah. And you were, we were, I think we ended up having to be at the airport three hours ahead of our flight. And you know what it's normal is, like, uh, if you get there 30 minutes ahead, you walk on your plane and away you go. Well, this was a, was a change and it was a very rude awakening to the real world at the time. And I remember my kids were in school at, in Rye and they were locked down. The minute they heard what was going on, the whole city was locked down, but our school, our kids were locked in the school because nobody knew exactly what the heck was going on. Yeah. And we couldn't go and get them until after, I think it was like 5.30 at night, we finally went and got the kids because they figured, okay, it was safe. They didn't know if we were under attack from everything or everywhere. And, uh, yeah, it was a wild, absolutely crazy scene.
0: I mean, Ron, you come from Canada, and the United States, you know, okay, we could, people say, well, what about Pearl Harbor, Bob? But that was on Hawaii. That was not on the mainland. Uh, we won't get into the geopolitical. You know, there's people that said, but say the Americans forced the Japanese into it. I don't buy that for a second. But it, this, I, I guess, where I'm going with this, this was such a shock to to Americans that they were actually attacked. And I and I know there was a previous attempt at a you know a more significant attack at the at the towers back in '93. But what was like? Did you get the sense when you talked to your neighbors and talked to people around New York, uh, talk to people around New York and Rye, and then in New York later on, just at, at, at the complete shock that this had happened? Uh, period. That, that, that you know that they they didn't catch us, that they weren't able to thwart the terrorist attack at that time.
1: Oh, 100 percent. Like not, it wasn't just shock because where we lived, there was. Uh, Probably, like I said, 43 funerals from our school that we were in, and we were a very small school. And so you could only imagine the hurt that was going on because there were so many people were affected. Like one of, one of my really good friends, Ace Bailey went down in one of those planes and that was a close friend. Uh, he was probably one of Slats's best friends. And he was supposed to be flying out to uh, Los Angeles to start training camp out there because he'd uh, just changed jobs and gone to the Los Angeles uh, Kings. And it was like all of a sudden we have a person that we know really well that was involved in this, Don Maloney's uh, brother-in-law died in one of the towers, and all of a sudden everything's hitting home, and you're sitting there going, yeah, this wasn't an attack on on home, this was an attack on everybody in the area and in the world.
0: Joined right now by Ron Lowe, former Edmonton Oilers and New York Rangers head coach. He just gone to New York City to become uh, the head coach for GM Glenn Sather at that time when 9 11 ended up uh, occurring back in 2001. Of course, the 20th anniversary of which is uh, tomorrow. What could you say about the resiliency of New Yorkers afterwards,
1: Ron? Absolutely unbelievable. It was it was absolutely crazy. I remember the first game that we played in Madison Square Garden. And it was just a relief for our team to go and play. And I remember Mark saying in the dressing room before the game started, he said, let's give these guys a show and we had a lot of first responders at the game that night i remember mark having gave his helmet to one of the firefighters i mean it was like you talk about gut-wrenching and when they sang the national anthem that night It was as loud as I've ever heard a national anthem in my entire life. It was bone-chilling and eerie. Like, you remember the organ in Chicago? Well, this was ten times more, but it was just people singing. I mean, it was wild.
0: And, I mean, uh, for, I, I know we've done a couple of others now road trips uh, through Dennis Liberty, and New West Travel Out Experience for uh, Edmontonians to go into a game at MSG. It's such a unique and special place at the best of times. Um, it would have been uh, it, it would have been really uh, quite unique. At what, at what point uh, afterwards, Ron, and in, in, in you coached there for two years as the head coach, But at what what time did it start to settle down on that first season where it kind of got back to a little bit to normal, or did it get back to normal?
1: I'll be honest with you, the first year, I don't think it ever did get back to normal. There was always a... Well, first of all, if you went anywhere downtown, you had to basically... You were somewhere around the World Trade Center. And there was... um, A smoke and a smell in the city for probably four and a half months. So it was kind of hard to even put anything in the back of your mind because every time you went down there, it was this, uh, like a really bad odor. And it was, well, it was from the building, man. It burnt and uh, not just burnt, it was charred. And when you think about the, the people that went into that rubble and tried to rescue people, there was very, I mean, there was no chance that there was anybody there, but they were in there digging around, uh, like a day later. And like you're going, like you, you can't, the firefighters and the uh, police in that city deserve absolute so much credit because Basically, there could have been chaos, and it turned out that there was a lot more probably control than there there probably should have been. It was, it was amazing, the job that the first responders did. Yeah, well, there's no
0: question. In that situation, I think Americans came together. I know that there were, I mean, we'd have people in the Muslim community that would be, say, you know, there was a little bit of finger-pointing, and, it, you know, 98% of the, uh, 99% of the Muslims out there had absolutely not, you know, nothing to do with it, and, and that's an unfortunate byproduct that occurred during that time. There was a little bit of resentment. Um I got it. you stayed in New York was it a completely different experience getting ready for the start of the next season your second year there like was it just night and day or did you still see kind of the, the after effects of the increased security and that sort of thing
1: Oh the the security stayed well it's still with us believe me uh, you used to be able to walk into Madison Square Garden, you check yourself at the gate and that was it. Uh, they, even in the second year I was there, they would take the mirrors under your car. They did, I mean, that, that stuff never existed before that, and actually, Bob, probably the security that goes on now is an absolute direct result of what took place that day. Well, even the
0: league, like from that point on, every team in the league has to fly uh, on team charter. Like Yeah, right? 100%. That wanted to be in a situation where something like that, that would occur. I'd be remiss without asking you a couple other stories. Ron Lowe is joining us right now, former leaders, uh, head coach, head coach of the New York Rangers as well, uh, was the Rangers coach when nine eleven occurred. In your second year, you got one of my favorite players of all time. He wasn't quite as dominant as he was with Philly, but he was still pretty damn good. How good was Eric Lindros at that time for you?
1: Uh, it, was, uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, huh, I, you've, you've heard me go through the sob story before. I mean, we had Eric Lindros, uh, Theo Fleury, and Mike York on the line. They were the best line in the uh, Eastern Conference by far. Uh, <clears throat> Eric was just a dominant guy. I mean, he was big and strong. And over the first half of the year, Metz was on fire. Peter Nedved was playing unbelievable. And in a string of uh, two and a half games, I lost my three, those three centers. Metz with a knee. Eric Lindos hit a guy so hard that the guy's helmet snapped back and gave him a concussion, and Peter Nedved uh, broke his wrist. So my three starting centers, or best centers, I went to, directly to Manny Maholtrud, who'd scored three goals in the league. It was not a, not a good scenario for me. We, I've almost coached the All-Star game that year for being the number one team in the East, and got fired at the end of the year <laughs> it was pretty pretty freaking bizarre and eric was just a huge part of that first half
0: uh, ross and theron flurry uh part of that, that fly line with mike york with you they both ended up playing for team canada that year and winning a gold medal uh one more for you uh ron and it has to do with a little bit of here and now it's a different game today um You never had any issue with guys doing their jobs on the physical side of the game. The Flames have got Milan Lucic, and today they signed Eric Goodbranson. Hard-nosed, tough, right-shot defenseman. uh, Had a fight last year with Cassian. Zach uh, busted, I think, a knuckle in that fight or a finger. Um, And we're getting fans saying the Oilers should be concerned because they don't want Darnell Nurse fighting, and they've just got Cassian. And so the question I'm going to ask you, I know you still watch the game. You still talk to a lot of people in the game. Do you think you still need having uh, that physical pres- presence, that toughness, or is fighting a part of the game that has uh, since passed?
1: No, I think it's. I think it's still around. I mean, you're. I, I don't think you have to fight every night, but you definitely, you definitely have to show up. And uh, hey, some of the. The players that the Oilers got this year have definitely picked up the sandpaper end of it. And uh, I think that's what you have to have. I don't know if you have to have the the fight as much as you have to have the people that are willing to fight. And I, I think it's going to be just a great season. I think it's going to be interesting to see how everything shakes out. I love Hyman. I uh, remember every game that Toronto played against us, not us, uh, the Oilers, um, at the end of the game, if Hyman was playing, Smith would be freaking in his kitchen. I mean, Smith would be going nuts. He'd be hacking him and whacking him. And I know one thing about Smitty. If somebody's pissing him off in front of the net, then that's the guy I want. And that's to me, that was the best free agent signing for quite a while on this team.
0: Rock. Taking time uh, to uh, educate us in your time that you and Linda spent uh, in New York City, specifically around uh, 9-11, and I look forward to seeing you down the road back in the building at Roger's Place during the course of the season. Okay, Bobby, take care. That is former Edmonton Oilers head coach. He was the head coach of the New York Rangers. 42 funerals. Oh, man. That was uh, that, that's tough, tough stuff. Ron Lowe was the Oilers now headliner. For Wilhawk Beef Jerky, it just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhawk, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. We will tell you that guests on this show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night of the town, every meal is an occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse, 99.90. Jasper Avenue. I'm gonna work in some text when we come back out of break. It's 1255 at Edmonton. You're listening to Oilers Now. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcast. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 6:30 Chat. Again, special thanks to former Edmonton Oilers and New York Rangers. Head coach, Ron Lowe, and uh, we've got a lot of response on the Ashley Fine Floors text line, uh, specifically from people that are involved uh, as first responders, be it firefighters or uh, RCMP, and again, there's uh, in city police and that sort of thing. Um, there's an excellent documentary. It's hard to watch. The first two episodes are really raw, but... Uh, Turning Point, uh, five episode series on uh, Netflix right now. And again, you can text us at any time at seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three and uh, we still have Mark Spector coming up, Sportsnet Spec for the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta. Brennan, I did find it interesting about what Ron said about Zach Hyman. He's obviously a pretty big Zach Hyman fan. Did you get that sense? I get the sense that everybody we talk to about Zach Hyman is a Zach Hyman fan. So the fact that, you know, we're watching what Calgary's doing, building a bigger defense, but, you know, I trust that uh, what people are saying about Hyman being that guy to get into people's kitchens and maybe mix it up a little more than we've seen in past. Yeah, this text Comes in saying, I remember working for a company in the Commerce Place building uh, on 9 11. A co worker arrived later than me and announced what had happened. Then the rest of the day, uh, we had the TV on in the break room uh, watching uh, the b- breaking news. Uh, it felt weird watching those images while being in an office tower ourselves. I've told the story before. Uh, I was yes SID at the University of Alberta when that happened. Uh, Used to work basically 10 to 6, uh, Monday through Thursday, and then all weekend. And I remember coming in and just uh, being in the students' union building. And there were clear delineations in terms of groups of students that were sitting together, and they had all the TVs up, and like students were in shock with what happened. Obviously not as much shock as what occurred for everybody in Rye, New York. 42 funerals uh, for the, the parents of the kids in the school that Ron Lowe's uh, kids were at of that time. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. And when we come back in Oilers Now, for the horses and horse racing Alberta, Sportsnet Spec, Mark Spector. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.